When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Oregon State Beavers did not show up well at Autzen on Saturday, but for the first time in a long time, a year-ending loss to the Ducks will be followed by a bowl game. So all was not lost, despite the disappointing performance by the Beavers on Saturday. I am Aaron Fentress. I work for the Oregonian. And joining me as always on the Beaver Banter Podcast is Nick Daschle, the Oregonian's beat writer covering the Beavers. Nick, your initial impressions of what went down at Autzen? Not good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's be honest, it was not good. I mean, you can't you can't spot Oregon a 14-nothing lead, give up scores on every possession in the first half and expect to call that a, a great performance because it just wasn't. I mean, on both sides of the ball, um, you, you fall behind twenty-four to three at halftime in a game where you you got a chance to win the you know tie for the Pac-12 North title, something you've never done. Just not even. To, I mean, I don't want to say they didn't show up because I hate that that phrase, but they they, <laughs> they were clearly there. <laughs> they clearly weren't gonna. They clearly didn't match Oregon. You know, when when it, early in the game. And that really, that really was it. Was disappointing because you know, Oregon State has had this problem in road games recently, where they spot the the home team, you know, double digit leads early in the game, and they spend the whole rest of the game playing uphill. It's it's not a recipe for for victory for sure. Definitely, clearly, Oregon was a better team in pretty much every facet. Give Oregon State credit for. Mounting a comeback late, that, that onside kick was very nice. That gave them a chance to score back-to-back touchdowns quickly and then make it interesting. But clearly, to me, as far as I'm concerned, the Ducks pretty much dominated that game. It, was, it wasn't as close as the score other than the late flurry there. A little disappointed in Oregon State in that they didn't make it more of a contest through the first three quarters. The running game did not show up. The team showed up, but the running game did not show up. And, of course, when we talked last week with you, Creppy, and myself – we kind of figured that at the very least Oregon State would run the ball well. But before we dissect the game too much, let's talk about a couple, you know, a couple of things that are important. One, the uh, new contract for Jonathan Smith. Coaches are being hired left and right. It's great to see all these major programs interviewing minority candidates. That's tongue in cheek because they're not. They're hiring white men as soon as they possibly can. That's another debate. But with so many coaches on the move and so many openings coming up, and given what Jonathan Smith has done already at Oregon State, one would think that he might be a candidate somewhere, not at LSU, not Oklahoma, not USC. I mean, I never thought that was going to happen. But who knows? Maybe Washington, maybe somewhere else. 
but regardless, he re-signed or signed an extension or new contract with the Beavers. Talk a little bit about that contract and what it means for Oregon State to lock him up longer. Yeah, I mean, it was. I'm not saying it's it it. it it was it need it needed to happen, but it probably did just to show, if for no other reason, to show Jonathan and the staff that they're they're valued and they're, and they're making an investment in football. Um, I don't honestly think Jonathan is. You know, everybody likes to be paid. I don't honestly think Jonathan is. You know, just itching to get a ten million dollar a year contract. He just. You know what I think. What he wants more than anything is to build a build a program and and bring Oregon State back to some level of respectability. And I I never got the impression he was ever leaving Corvallis, but but it doesn't hurt to have your boss say, you know, hey, we value you. We're going to give you a lot more money, and we're going to pay your assistants more. They even went to the extent of coming up with a uh, a pool of money to pay the support staff, the you know the director of operations, those type of people. Um, which they'd never done before. So it's hard to say Jonathan doesn't have everything he pretty much wants at Oregon State other than, you know, maybe more analysts, maybe, you know, more academic people, those sorts of things that the Alabamas of the world have and, you know, have by the dozens. But, um, yeah, at this point, he's got what he I think he needs to get this program going in the right direction. I mean, he's his, his new salary, I don't have it. Quite nailed down. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for the contract to show up, but I'm told it's it's somewhere. It's going to start somewhere around three, about three point seven million, which puts him in the middle of the Pac-12 mm-hmm. in terms of salaries. It, you know, it's six years, decent sized bumps along the way. So, I mean, we're looking at, you know, he's looking at a, a good chunk of change and he's going to be able to keep some of his, you know, higher paid assistants that he wants to keep. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm certain he's going to lose a couple guys off the staff, not because he's looking to make a change. It's because when you start to win games, your assistant coaches start to start to get noticed by other schools and, and, and they want to, you know, move on and promote and, you know, take promotions and things like that. So. Um, but all in all, it's, you know, it's a good, it's a, it's a good move by, by Scott Barnes to, you know, keep this program, the momentum of this program going in the right direction. Absolutely. You got to pay the man. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting. The assistant pool about 3.7 million. I think I read, I think, is that what you just said too? That That was, that was what it was this year. I'm, I'm, I'm told it's going to go up. Oh, it was three seven, so it's going up. Yeah, it, it was three seven this year. It, it's it's going to go up, and I, I mean, I don't, I I couldn't, uh, I couldn't pry it at us at a at a Barnes the other day, but I'm going to guess it's going to be somewhere between four and a half and five million next year. So you know, if they need to pay, say Brian Lindgren a million dollars, and they think he's the guy, I mean, they might be they they could do that. Um, right. So. The key guys they need to take care of is is Lingren, Jim Mahalchek, the offensive line coach, and yeah, and then they need to figure out what they're going to do on the defensive side with the coordinator, whether it's Trent Bray or they go outside. If they go outside, they may have to pay, they may have to pay some guy, you know, eight hundred to a million dollars a year to get the get the right guy and get the defense, you know, headed in the right direction. Bottom line is Oregon State stepped up with a commitment to the staff, and that's definitely a good sign uh, that they want to keep this group together at least as much as you can. Obviously, like you said, assistants are going to 
be looked at by other programs, but you keep the head man and a guy who you know has ties to the program, who cares about the program, who wants to succeed there and is doing a great job. Uh, so good for good for Oregon State for making that happen, which is not not a shock or not a surprise, but it's nice to see that program continuing to rise and uh, taking care of their coaches in the process. All right, uh, before we get to the game again, one more topic: bowl game. We know they're in at seven and five. What's your sense on where they might be headed? Well, there's only four bowls they could possibly go to. Um, it looks like Oregon, you know, Oregon and Utah, the winner of that game is obviously going to go to the Rose Bowl. The loser is almost certainly going to go to the Alamo Bowl. And in fact, if Oregon yeah. win, if Oregon wins the Rose Bowl, Utah has to go to the Alamo Bowl just because of the criteria. Um, but I, I expect the loser to go to the Alamo, the winner to the Rose. After that, you know, Oregon State, it's based on conference record. Arizona State, Washington State, UCLA are six and three. Oregon State is five and four. So Oregon State qualifies for every bowl from there on out. The the the, the next four, but I don't expect. I don't. I talked to the Vegas Bowl director today. Um, you know, they they always say great things about every school. They're not going to burn any bridges. They're not going to say no to anybody. But, I mean, it would be highly unlikely that, that the Vegas Bowl picks Oregon State with Arizona State and UCLA within driving distance and the TV market and all that. Mm-hmm. Then it's the Holiday Bowl. It's the same thing there, the driving distance for UCLA fans, uh, Arizona State to some degree, the TV market. I don't expect those either one of those bowls to be available for Oregon State. Oregon State cannot go to the Sun Bowl because the Sun Bowl does not have does not have um they they are obligated to take the next best record available and one of those six and three teams is going to be available so they have to take any remaining six and three team that will not be Oregon State so anybody that didn't want to go to El Paso you're off the hook it's not going <laughs> to happen for Oregon State so. That leaves the the most. I would say it's eighty five to ninety percent certain that Oregon State's going to end up in the LA Bowl, which is a good. I mean, it's are they going to play some? Are they going to play an, uh, a name school? No, they're going to play the Mountain West. Probably play the Mountain West champion, which will be either San Diego State or Utah State. So from that standpoint, you know, it's it, it, they're not playing. They're not going to play one of the Power Five schools. But this bowl game. Is got everything else Oregon State could possibly want. It's in L.A. It's in a brand new stadium that's awfully nice, as nice as any place they're going to play in. It's going to be at four thirty on a Saturday. No competition. Prime time in, in on the East Coast. They should get plenty of exposure. Uh, it's just it, it's a game that if anybody looks down their nose at, they're crazy. It, it's 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 perfect for a bowl game. It's also a bowl game they could easily lose because San Diego State and Utah State are pretty good football teams. And if Oregon State doesn't show up, they could get embarrassed. So um, it's a little risky to play. Actually, a little risky to play the schools because even though, you know, you, you know, you say San Diego State, we know they're a good football team. But, you know, around the country, that's not the first school that comes to mind when it comes to you know, uh, you lose losing a bowl game. So, 
or Oregon State's going to need to show up and, and, and play in that situation. And I think they will. They'll be excited to be there since it's the first bowl game they've been at in eight years. Well, yeah, it's going to be no matter who they play, they could play a junior college. It's going to be a big deal. But <laughs> <don't know> <laughs> you don't know about that. Did I go too far? I probably did. But probably. to my point, I mean, your first bowl game in a long time is going to be exciting no matter what. And if, if they're able to win it as well, then that's going to be another feather in the cap and, and set them up this off season. But let's go to, let's get back to this, to this civil, whatever it's called. Uh, I kind of, I, I had a feeling Oregon would write the ship after Utah and, and that they're the better team than me on paper. And they'd pr- probably figure out a way to win this game. I did not think it would be, you know, 31 nine <clears throat> when it was, or even 14 zero at the very least. I thought Oregon state would run the football, the best rushing uh, team in the Pac-12 and going up against a team that James Crepia, our Ducks reporter, has been talking all season long about how they struggle against 12 personnel, against two tight ends or more, which Oregon State does like to do. They run a pro-style attack, and that pro-style running game just almost went absolutely nowhere. Let's start there because that, to me, was the biggest key of the game. Uh, what, what went wrong for Oregon State? What did Jonathan Smith say about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I know a lot of people are going to look at the defense and say they didn't stop Oregon, but the fact is, or- Oregon State should have stayed with Oregon with that running game. O- Oregon is Oregon stop is a good run defense, but they're not great. But they figured out they figured out what you know how how to stop Oregon. They they didn't slow down Oregon State. They stopped Oregon State. They held Oregon State to less than a hundred yards rushing. Which only Purdue has done this entire season. Uh, I mean, Oregon State went as as far as to throw four tight ends out there, and it, it still didn't matter. They they didn't. <laughs> they had they in the first half. They really didn't move the ball at all, and that's what I that more than anything else. That's what caused me to get behind twenty four to three. Like I said, you could blame the defense some, but the reason the defense has been decent this year is because the, the, the running game kept them on the sideline. You don't want to expose that defense to, you know, anybody for 37 minutes like they did it against Oregon. Right. Um, yeah, that's just a recipe for disaster. And so the running Especially game, Especially when Oregon is not built to control the clock. They're right. not trying to control the clock. No. And so it's, you know, that to me, that was just, that was the whole thing. They just, they, they and they, and, I'll give them credit. They did try to run the ball. They didn't get cute with it. They they came out right away and tried to establish a run. And Oregon said, "No, no, no, not today." And I, I and I thought Kayvon Thibodeau had a good game. They they actually tried to run at him a few times, and he he was he was right there to stop him. They didn't. Um, but the tight end, the, the running the tight end side didn't seem to matter. They just they couldn't get it going, and you know they ended up. Which is another topic we'll be talking about, but they end up having to throw the ball thirty nine times, which is just way too much for Oregon State. Absolutely, um, you know, yeah. I mean, the defense didn't play well, but when it's when the when the defense is struggling to score, the offense has to help by a keeping the ball, keep your defense off the field and rested, and b putting points up. Like it shouldn't be twenty four three. If it's going to be twenty four three, or if you're going to give up twenty four points. The offense needs to come correct, and it needs to be 24-13 or something, not 24-3 at that point. Um, the offense just was nowhere to be found um, in that first half, and that was, you know, that was pretty shocking. Like, I did not I did not see that coming. They ended up with um, 85 net yards rushing. I think Oregon clearly was humbled at Utah 
playing against a similar offense to what Oregon State runs. And they were determined to just flip that script against Oregon State, and they did. And so to me, that bodes well for their rematch with Utah on Friday. I think they're going to go in extremely confident. It's going to be a, a neutral site. And uh, they demonstrated that they can handle a team like that, at least you know, in that game they did. Who knows what will happen on Friday. But Oregon State just seemed like – they just seemed like they just were not ready for the the ferociousness by which Oregon's defense came out and played. Right. And, and I mean, one another thing was, you know, Jonathan was asked last week, you know, would you rather be the first team, you know, get, given the Oregon State and Utah run similar, they run similar, you know, running schemes. Like, they're not entirely, you know, a duplicate, but I mean, they, they like to use the tight ends a lot to block and things like that. And he was asked, you know, would you like to be the first team to, you know, face an Oregon team or the second team? And he said, "Oh, I, you know, I'd want to be the second team because I got video." And I'm thinking, "No, you want to be the first team because then because they also have video too. They can see what's going on and they can make make some adjustments." So I I, I think had Oregon State been the first team and not Utah, I mean, I'm not saying Oregon State would have done what Utah did, but they certainly would have been more successful. I think. Absolutely. And speaking of, of Nolan, you mentioned him. Uh, Nolan and Anthony Brown, similar quarterbacks to me in that you do not want them carrying you, right? You want them playing off of a good rushing attack. They're capable of making plays, but they're not necessarily capable of carrying the team if other things are going uh, not so good. In this case, though, I felt like Nolan, yeah, he didn't carry him to victory, but he performed decently, um, not enough to overcome you know, the deficit in the, that was building in the, in the first half, obviously, and then into the second half, but he did rally them at, at you know, late. Like he, he let them on touchdown drive. They got uh, touchdown drive. They got offensive kick, excuse me, onside kick, went back and got another touchdown, scored 20 points in the, in the fourth quarter alone, I believe. So, you know, again, no one's not going to carry you to a victory probably in a game like this, but I, sh- I thought he showed very well considering what he was up against with virtually no run game support. Sure. I mean, he, 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 he played fine. Um, the one, you know, a couple things I'd say about that, uh, Oregon State threw the ball 39 times. I don't, I don't care which quarterback they have out there. They're, they're just not built to win this year with that, that style of offense. They don't have, they don't have the receivers that can, you know, that can hit you for a 70 yarder. They, they just can't seem to move the chains if they're consistently throwing the ball. Um, they, they need, they need the running game to keep those chains moving. And, you know, that's, that didn't happen Saturday, but the, the other point I, I made a little bit in the, in the, my takeaways was about with Nolan is that, you know, they signed this, this guy that they've never had before a dual threat guy who can, you know, he can hurt teams with his, with his legs as well as his arm. Uh, he, they, they didn't, they didn't run they don't run him as much as you as you think and they didn't run him at all against Oregon which was I think he read one design run and that was it I mean I, I I'm I'm a little confused on why they don't run him more I I, I I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they don't have any confidence in the you know in Sam Neuer if in case Nolan got hurt or or what but I know this offseason there's got to be some a deep look at the quarterback position. It's going to be a lot better next year because they'll have, they'll have, they'll have, you know, Jebbia should be healthy. 
Ben Gulbertson should be healthy. They got uh, Sam Vidlack, who who a lot of fans you know love because they always love the freshman with the big arm. Um, and he's you know he's got a year in the system, so they'll have some they'll have some guys next year. But it's just it was always a little confusing to me as to why they didn't run Chance Nolan a little bit more on you know maybe some RPOs or just some some sort of design runs or or something. You know they just it was a hit and miss part of the offense all year, and they didn't even really attempt it much against Oregon. You are listening to Beaver Banter, and we'll be right back after a quick break. So it sounds like, based on your notes to me, that you like the fact that they threw the ball to the tight end in this game. Luke Musgrave, seven catches, 85 yards. I believe his first touchdown of the year, right? Uh, yeah, well, that he didn't he didn't return on a block punt. Yeah, his okay. first one first receiving. Offense, first offensive touchdown, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so so were you, were you being sarcastic in praising them because they hadn't done much of it this season, or are you really – well, yeah, really I, nice I wore. I mean, I pretty much wore out. I pretty much wore out Brian Lingren during our uh, weekly availabilities with you know, why. Why aren't you throwing to the tight end more? I mean, during camp, during camp, Luke Musgrave could not be stopped. He was oh, he was he was one of the dominant players from in camp uh, on throws to the tight end. Six six guy who can run. I mean, I honestly thought he might be their leading receiver this year. The way he he lit up camp, and I mean, they didn't throw him hardly at all. And, and you know, the 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 answer to my question, you know, virtually every week is, well, you know, we we don't throw the ball a lot, and and there's not a lot of opportunities, and 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 I'm thinking, well, I, I get that, but you still do throw the ball, and it and it rarely goes to the tight end, and. And and I know Musgrave had a few drops this year, but he didn't have too many. But he, I mean, he had twelve catches coming into the Duck game, and that was the first time that they actually they consciously threw him the ball a lot, and he delivered. He had seven catches for I think it was eighty five yards and a touchdown. Um, I mean, that's the Luke Musgrave I thought we were going to see all year long, and and they finally threw to him, and um, be interesting to see if you know that if they take that into the bowl game and, and, and build on it. Not, not just with him, but with Tegan Quattariano too. All right, let's move on to the defense. So again, like I said, similar situations with the quarterback, neither one of them is a carry type quarterback, but they do thrive in situations where the run game is potent. In this case, Oregon's was very potent, 5.6 yards per carry. Brown was a big part of that where they really killed. It was on first down. Um, I did some research on it the other day for an article, and I think it was 24 carries on first down for 118 yards for the Ducks. That have, that That's huge. We can get that kind of production on first down just in the run game. And Brown played off of that extremely well, had arguably his best all-around game of the season. I mean, I guess the Colorado game would be in there, but Colorado's not very good, so I would definitely put this up there. 275 yards, 23 of 28, two touchdowns, no picks, rushed for 83 uh, where did Oregon State go wrong on defense? Why were they allowing um, Oregon to basically do what they wanted to do in the running game? And, of course, that set up the pass game. 
Well, it's it's the season long problem they've had is they just can't get to the quarterback. I mean, just as simple as that. They 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 don't get or get off the field on third down. Yeah, ten well, thirteen for the Ducks. Right. I mean, but they they don't get to the quarterback, and the, you know, you, you give any of these guys is even even in a league where the quarterbacks were a little bit on the disappointing side this year, they're still good enough to hurt you if 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 you're not thrown under duress and. Um, there was too many times this year where they just didn't put any, didn't, couldn't get, didn't, couldn't get past the, the offensive line to, to get even, you know, touch the quarterback, let alone put him on the ground. And, you know, he made him pay. And I, you know, I, I know, you know, I know the defense was, was much improved the last two weeks with Stanford and Arizona state with Trent Bray as the interim coordinator. And, but you know, in the back of your mind, you had to wonder, you know, how much of that was fool's gold? Was it was it Stanford that was extremely wounded and had you know virtually, you know, shoot, they're down to the third quarterback and and you know they're missing two or three receivers and you know this and that. And in Arizona State, they play Arizona State and they're down to, you know, they lost their tight end to a car accident and they really only have one receiver that's really can hurt you, Ricky Birdsall. Um, uh, and they did stop Rashad White. So, but Arizona State certainly wasn't firing on all cylinders when they came to Corvallis. So you kind of wondered what what might happen if they faced a you know experienced quarterback with a good running back, and and you saw what happened at Oregon. The the puzzling thing is, I mean, we all know what Oregon's Oregon's issues are at receiver. I mean, they're they're down a lot of them, but Devin Williams just made it look like. You know, he was going one on none pretty much the entire game. He wherever he wanted to catch the ball, he pretty much good. And I mean, he 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 lit up. He lit up Oregon State. Something fears. All right, let's get to something that was pretty interesting that Jonathan Smith did in this game. He decided to go for two quite often. Uh, he did it. Was it three or four times? Four. It was four. Right. Four times. Uh, the first three were the most consequential. So they scored to make it. Uh, 24-9, they went for two, which I thought was interesting. I mean, why do you feel the need to get it to 13 as opposed to just getting it to 10, which is still two possessions? Now, if you do it once, you might be thinking, well, we're going to do it twice because then we can make up for the one we missed. Uh, later when it was, they made it 31-15, they could have just got to 16. They decided to try and get 17, didn't get it. We're stuck at 16. So now you're down two touchdowns and two two-point conversions with 10 minutes to go in the game. Um, they end up uh, scoring again and making it 31-21 when at that – well, they went for two and they didn't get it again. Had they gone for one all three times, at that point it would have been 31-24. They would only been down one possession. Uh, what was Smith's reasoning for going for two? I mean, once you do it the first time, it kind of starts the snowball effect, like where you're trying to play catch-up and you're thinking, well, we're bound to get one at some point. Um, but what was the, what was the reasoning there for that that first one especially, and for continuing to to go for two? John, John, I mean this this also happened in the Cal game where he where he went for two kind of out of out of sequence. Um, and his explanation was the same at Cal as it was at Oregon, and it's kind of confusing. But his explanation is is that you know, we didn't come down here to, to match points with him. We came down here to win the game. And, and in his mind, he wanted to, you know, every, in his mind, once they got behind every touchdown was a chance to score eight points and not seven. And so that's why they started going for two. He's got this analytics thing 
and it's in his mind and I think that's just where he he started seeing he he needed to score as many points as possible and so every touchdown they were going to pretty much go for two um so the you know the math the, the common math that we think of you know where you're down you know say um 11 um you 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 just kick the extra point well he he sees it as a chance to get within nine and so uh, whether that's right or wrong I and mean, that's that's what Jonathan does and I mean there's going to be some things people don't like about about a coach and that it's definitely not something Beaver fans are very excited about is Jonathan's willingness to do push the envelope on some of these things I mean one of these days it's going to work I guess but when it doesn't work it doesn't look too smart well that's the thing like it's a funky thing to, for me because you're not you're not getting you're not really going for two you're going for an extra one because the one of the two is a given almost by kicking right. it so you're really going for the extra one point so what does that extra one point mean to you if you do go for it four times you can't reasonably expect to convert all four so you're thinking at best case scenario it's three so that's six points as opposed to four. So that's two extra points. What does that two extra points get you in the grand scheme of things? That has to be factored in. More realistically, you might go two for two, and then it's just you're breaking even. So what was the point? And then heaven forbid you only go one for four and lose those points or go 0 for four, which is what he did. Because the bottom line is they scored with 8.28 to go, and it should have been 31.24. And it was 31-21. Yeah. That is a dereliction of duty as a coach. He blew that. No matter how you shake or twist it, if you're going to go for two, you better damn well have some plays in your back pocket that you're going to convert two of the four. And that's the thing that killed Helfrich at, at Nebraska. They had this scheme with Charles Nelson, where Charles Nelson was going to be this triple threat, and no one could stop it. And they, d- damn it, they were going to go for it every time. It worked the first time. Then it didn't work. Then it didn't work. Then it didn't work. Then they had to, then they got rid of the Nelson thing. And then they just went for two with Prukop and it didn't work. And they ended up losing by four extra points, 35, 31, right? So, you know, to me, it's just a little arrogant because you're saying, I'm so smart. I have these plays that they're not going to stop that I'm going to risk the sure point for that extra one point. And in this case, not, th- I mean, they probably wouldn't win anyway, but you had a chance to cut the one possession and you didn't because you were messing around with going for two, four straight times. Well, and, 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 and the math doesn't make a lot of sense either because I, I, I'm going off the top of my head here, but I think, I think the national average is something like 54% on, on two-point plays, you know, you're from the three-yard line or, or whatever, something like that. So unless you've got a half a dozen plays, you think can score 80 or 90% of the time, um, yeah, it's it doesn't throw, make sense until you absolutely throw, have to do it's, it. It's throwing points away, and right, and and on none of the plays, I don't believe on any of the plays they actually ran the you know the play that they love to run, which is Jack Coletto up the middle or to the to the off the tackle or you know, which you know is is their bread and butter type play. They did try to run it. They actually ran him out there once, and it was. Oh, was that the worst looking play you've ever seen or what? Where, where, <laughs> where they have two tight ends and, and Coletto's at quarterback and he's trying, they're trying to run a pitch to, to, uh, to, uh, um, 
an end doing a reverse and, and Thibodeau comes in and just blows up the whole thing and it ended up being a fumble and, oh, it was just a disaster. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't get it either. I think, I don't think you need to start chasing points that, that soon. Unless, like I said, you've got a ton of two point plays you think, you think are, are got an 80 to 90% chance of hitting on, which, yeah. I mean, how you, you have to be, you have to be pretty arrogant to think that you, that you that even you are that smart that could come up with plays that would work that often. Yeah, the first one it was early third quarter. You can make a twenty-one fourteen. Um, the last one you had to go for two because if you get sure. two in, you get it to eight. So there's no point in being at nine. But you set yourself up for that situation by the, with the first three failures. I don't know. It's just you know I'm not I'm not trying to be uh derogatory towards Smith as a coach. He's clearly a, a good coach. I just don't understand the risk. It, it, it felt to me like he was frustrated. And so let's just go for two. <laughs> you know what I mean, let's just go. Now, at the same time, great call on the onside kick. Oregon State, I mean, there was a lot of time on the clock. I wasn't expecting an onside kick. Oregon definitely wasn't expecting an onside kick. So more more power to him for that call. It's just the two-point things just didn't make any sense to me. But to each their own, you know, like you said, maybe someday it'll work for them. Every coach does does has a couple of things that drive their fans crazy, and that's <laughs> Smith Smith on that and and fourth down calls. That, that that's you know, I'm sure Crystal Ball has stuff that drives Oregon fans crazy too. Absolutely. All right. So, um, how did you, did you feel the Beavers took the loss? I mean, you know, it's it's not like this loss left them at five and seven, right? It's not like this loss, I mean, obviously, if they would have won, they would have had a, you know, a share of the North title, et cetera, et cetera. But given the season they've had, being 7-5, um, did they take this loss in devastating fashion, or were they pretty even keel about it? Well, I mean, we only talked to a couple players. One of them was Jaden Grant. And, yeah, he was he was pretty broken up about it. I, I mean, there, were, there was a lot. There was more on the line than just beating your rival in this game. So it hurt. But, I mean, the bottom line is – they're seven and five. They win. They're eight and four. They're they're co champions. So there there is there is a difference between winning a bigger difference between winning and losing this game than say last year when you know it was just a matter of you know being able to beat your rival. But I don't I don't know that they were you know you know overly devastated. I I think they're disappointed. I I, I didn't get the impression they were you know just over the moon just troubled with this loss i mean i think they laid it all out there and they know where they screwed it up the first half um so i mean I, they they know oregon's a team they can beat because they've beaten them they beaten them last year and they for the most part they hung with oregon on saturday they just you know they they can't mm, they, i mean they rallied they, to they, make it interesting well i would say, yeah. they, hung, I would say they hung well, I don't know. Well, they got I, beat. yeah, they got beat. <laughs> it was well, thirty-one no nine. No, no, que- no it, question. It was thirty-one nine in the fourth. They got beaten. Yeah, well, pretty soundly, but but I mean, it's semantics. But that's not a team that they go into thinking, boy, we got to hit on everything to even have a chance. They, I mean, they right. they know they can hang with Oregon. Um, yeah, you know, and some sometimes it's not going to work, and yeah, you know, it didn't work Saturday, but. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, seven and five. How, how can you be? You can't be terribly disappointed with the season. They left. They might have left a win or two out there on the field, but shoot, 
what team could can't say that? All right. So where do things go for here for them? They've got some time off, obviously. They, they'll find out their bowl fate uh, shortly after the conference championship games are settled, correct? Sunday is when Sunday's when everything's announced. Okay. And you know, if it is the LA Bowl, it's it's a quick turnaround. Um, you know, the coaches are on the road right now recruiting and I think the plan is they they were going to be gone for the better part of 2 weeks, but if they're in the LA Bowl, you know, they're probably going to have to at least get some of the coaches back so they can have some practices next week because game week is you know, uh 2 weeks from Saturday. If, if it, like I said, if it is LA, so, you know, signing, it's going to be busy because signing day is the 15th, which is three days before the LA bowl. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a busy December for, for the Beavers on the, on the flip side, a great Christmas. Cause you know, the bowl will be over and, um, you know, they can kind of kick back and celebrate the Christmas season. You mentioned recruiting. What will this season do for Oregon State's recruiting? I think I think right now on rivals they're ranked fifty fifth in the country. Um, they only they only have one four star, about like six, about seven three stars, and some two stars. Do you think this type of season can really give them a boost in, in the home stretch here in recruiting? They've got some decent commitments here of late. It seems like, and I, I don't think they plan to sign a, a big class. I think from here on out they're 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 going to sign you know medium to you know, probably medium sized classes with an eye toward the transfer portal to add players that way. Um, and they definitely need to get they definitely need to get a, a you know another outside linebacker to you know they always need help on the defensive line, but again, who doesn't? Um, yeah, they could use they need some help in the secondary. And, you know, I'm thinking in the transfer portal, they'll probably be looking for, um, you know, an experienced offensive lineman because they're going to lose two or three starters off this team. And, and they've got some good good players in, in the pipeline, but I, I think it would help if they had a, you know, a veteran, you know, guy that maybe a grad transfer or something like that that could step in the offensive line. So um, I think recruiting's looking, you know, Good. It's not Oregon good, but it, it never will be. It, that's not that's not what Oregon State does. Did we get any questions? Yeah, I put some. I put something out on Twitter, uh, just saying I'm about ready to record a podcast. I, I should have put it out a lot earlier than I did, but uh, let's see. Here's one that says, "What is the likely status of Trayshawn Harrison for the bowl game after the ejection?" Um, I think to relive that one, that was where Harrison was. Tossed late in the fourth quarter for jumping on the back of one of the duck players during a skirmish in the end zone. Um, there were several fights toward the end of that game. Uh, the 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 rule is uh, if you're ejected for fighting in the second half of a game, you got to miss the first half of of the following game, which would be the bowl game, or if it's the last game of the season, it'd be the first game of the following year. Uh, I got the, just talking to Jonathan a little bit. I got the impression he was not very happy with. He didn't mention Trayshawn by name, but I got the impression he was not happy. And uh, there could be there could be other penalties <laughs> that go along with that. But 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 we'll see. But he's definitely going to miss the first half of the of the bowl game. Um, another question here from uh, let's see, Josh. He says, uh, "What the heck is up with men's basketball?" Um, uh, we don't have, we don't have, we don't have enough time on this podcast to go through that, but, 
Holy smokes. One and six. That is not what, <laughs> that is not what Beaver fans or anyone on this basketball team thought was going to happen. I knew it was going to be a little bit of a struggle. I didn't see one and six coming though. And conference play starting this week. Um, I'm talking to Wayne Tinkle later today um, for to do some stuff because conference season starts Thursday. And um, but nobody can be happy with how things are going. They they have too many veterans on this team to allow this to happen. They just they're not play, their defense is just not not in sync right now. I think they'll get it together. Not maybe not like last year. I think they'll get it together, but it might be already too late. They might have to do something like last year to get into the NCAA tournament. Um, another question here. It says, um, oh, uh, this is about the uh, going for two. We already kind of touched on that. Um, bowls, we touched on that. So, yeah, I think we. I think I see. Uh, next time maybe I'll have to put this out a little earlier so I get – get a few more questions because um, um, I answer mailbag questions every week on at or- Oregon live on Fridays, usually get 20 or 30 of them. And um, so I try to answer them there, but uh, I just thought I'd thought I'd throw that out there and see surprised they didn't get any soccer questions. Big, big soccer, big well, soccer week. Of, yeah. Big yeah, soccer big. week coming on with the Beavers on Saturday. They play uh, <clears throat> Clemson in the uh, NCAA men's soccer quarterfinals. If, if Oregon State wins, they're headed to the College Cup in uh, North Carolina, December tenth through twelfth. They're three wins away from winning the national title in men's soccer. Who knew? Wouldn't that I, be amazing? I know. I know you're a big <laughs> soccer fan, Aaron. So <laughs> uh, I respect the sport. I just don't quite find it that entertaining. But I did cover U of, U of P women's soccer for a couple of seasons, and that was pretty fascinating. They obviously have a really good program. Uh, but man, Oregon, like the, the, the fact, I mean, this has come out of nowhere in a lot of ways, right? Oregon state being this good. Oh, for sure. I mean, Terry boss came in in 2018 and yeah, he immediately turned the program around. Um, you know, he, he's got, he's got a pipeline internationally and he's brought in a lot of, a lot of talent from around the world. And they immediately got to the NCAA tournament the first year he was here. And, um, this is the third year in, in four four tries that they've been to the tournament, but I mean, they're the number one overall seed. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, with all the soccer teams and talent around the country, Oregon state is, they're the team to beat right now. They are the team to beat. That is why are you going to be able to go as far as they go? Oh, I'll, be there, I'll be there Saturday. I, I don't, I haven't even, haven't discussed anything beyond that. Part of it, part of it's because you know I don't know what bowl game is coming up, so you know it's kind of you know they're well, all man, they're the right so- they're the right soccer- on top top of each other. The soccer run to the national title is more important than a bowl game. Come on, uh, you know you know yeah. you know what you know what fans want to read about. They're they're all they're all in on football. Um, so, but we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, I, I mean, I did do. Uh, I did do live updates last night on uh on Oregon Live and it got a lot it got a lot of traffic so there Good. is interest out there. People want to know about the the mighty beavers at Lawrence Field. It's a fascinating story given. Yeah. Yeah, and for a lot of different reasons. Um yeah. all right, anything else we need to touch on? I guess we'll 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 get back at this again next Monday after the 
bowl game was announced and give an initial breakdown of where uh, where they're playing and who they're facing. Anything else to add for this week? No, I think that uh, pretty much covers it. So um, yeah, we'll try to try to do a little deeper dive into a bowl game next next Monday or whenever we we do this next next podcast. All right, that's it for the Beaver Banter Podcast. I'm Aaron Fentress. He's Nick Dash. Well, be sure to click the subscribe button so you don't miss a podcast as we continue to follow the Oregon State football team to its first bowl game since 2013, right? Since Hawaii Bowl 13, is that correct? Correct. That's correct. And, of course, we'll have more soccer updates, and uh, Nick is going to get down to the bottom of what's going on with the men's basketball program. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.